This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. different it's different right now it feels different i feel different how do you feel out there listening in the podcast world i'm dm carl dm crispy not here today which is odd this is a side adventure there has been uh side adventures throughout the history of save or die and we are going to do one for you tonight side adventure number 13 I'm joined today by a very special guest, my wife. Courtney. Courtney. Hi, Courtney. How are you? I'm good. Courtney um, is going to be on the show today, and she came up with the show topic, and I really like it. Courtney, what is our show topic today? We're going to talk about the use of miniatures in RPGs versus theater of the mind. Why why did you want to talk about this? Because I think it's an interesting aspect to role-play gaming. And I like both ways, but we'll probably get into that more later. Sure. Before we jump into the discussion of theater of the mind versus miniatures and terrain and scenery, I do want to take a look, since this is the classic D&D podcast, what the classic editions of D&D had to say about the topic of using miniatures in your game. I've pulled some expert excerpts, excerpts, I can't say excerpts, excerpts. Can you say selections? It? That's like I'm Porky Pig now. Is basically what's happening. It's like yeah, blah, 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 blah. selections. Excerpts. It's hard to say. It is a hard word. Anyway, so I've pulled some excerpts from different classic D and D manuals, and we're gonna read those and just kind of get a feel of what the different manuals had to say about using miniatures in your game. So this first reading is from the OD and D box set. This is all it had to say inside the pages about using miniatures, aside from the fact that it calls out the use of miniatures and calls itself a war game on the cover. So in the OD&D manual, it says, It is relatively simple to set up a fantasy campaign, and better still, it will cost almost nothing. In fact, you will not even need miniature figures, although their occasional employment is recommended for real spectacle when battles are fought. The use of paper, pencil, and mat boards are standard. Miniature figures can be added if the players have them available and so desire, but miniatures are not required, only aesthetically pleasing. Similarly, unit counters can be employed, with or without figures, although by themselves the bits of cardboard lack the eye appeal of the varied and brightly painted miniature figures. And so then we're going to move on to Holmes D&D, which is a re-edit and expansion of the Three Little Brown books and some Greyhawk thrown in. And it's not surprising that Holmes D&D has a lot more to say about miniatures because Holmes was a miniature enthusiast. 
And here's a few of the things it had to say. And it actually reiterated some of the stuff from the Three Little Brown books. Holmes does that quite a bit throughout. But I'm going to read some excerpts here. It is relatively simple to set up a fantasy campaign, and better still will cost almost nothing. In fact, you will not even need miniature figures. So that's an exact replica of the text from the OD&D box set, although their occasional employment is recommended for real spectacle when battles are fought. And then um, he kind of paraphrases it, uh, and this may be actually, uh, Gygax did some editing of Holmes' transcript, but it says, while only paper and pencil need be used, it is possible for characters of each player to be represented by miniature-led figures which can be purchased inexpensively from hobby stores or directly from TSR Hobbies. So I doubt that was a Holmes, like I doubt he wrote, purchased them from hobby stores directly from TSR Hobbies. That's probably an edit by TSR of the Holmes manuscript. Um, Holmes continues to say later on in the book, the game requires optionally a tabletop to represent the locality of the adventurers with some form of markers for the characters and the monsters they encounter. The game is more exciting and spectacular using the lead miniature figures mentioned above, which can be painted to each player's individual taste. But paper markers or chessmen can be used effectively. Since Dungeons & Dragons was originally written for wargamers who are used to miniature figures, distances are often given in inches. Inches can be converted to feet by multiplying by 10. 1 inch equal 10 feet, 2 inches equal 20 feet, etc. This scales the movement appropriately for maneuvering the figures on the top of a gaming table. Now this scale here, 1 inch by 10 feet, um, that is from OD&D. OD&D had that and AD&D used it as well, I believe. So that ground scale isn't what's used currently as a hobby standard. Typically speaking, we use one inch equals five feet. That's the ground scale we use. So um, with, with one inch figures and one inch equal 10 feet, there's some verisimilitude lacking in the ground scale versus the figure scale, where uh, as figures got a little bit bigger, around 30, mil, um, 30 millimeter figures translates to six foot and then 25 would translate to five foot, uh, meaning five millimeter per foot. Uh, the ground scale now has verisimilitude with the figure scale. Now, as figures continue to get bigger, we're going to lose that again. The last thing Holmes says about using figures uh, is after its play example, a lot of um, basic sets have play examples in them, and it uh, has some characters interacting with each other and maybe having a combat or solving a puzzle. And after that example, he writes, this example could be played with maps and pencil and paper. If miniature figures are used, they can be arranged in battle order on the tabletop and the movement through passages and rooms imagined. The piece is rearranged for combat or other changes of formation. Figures are available for all the character types of Dungeons and Dragons as well as for most of the monsters. So that's the last thing Holmes has to say about uh, using miniature figures. Next, we're gonna go on to uh, the basic expert sets from 1981, and there's some really interesting stuff in here. Alright, so from the basic expert D&D, that this game, unlike others, does not use a playing board or actual playing pieces. All that is needed to play are these rules. The dice included in this set, pencil and paper, graph paper, and imagination. The game may be more exciting if miniature-led figures of the characters and monsters are used, but the game can be played without such aids. In the figure section, it says if miniature figures are used to represent the characters, 
The player should choose figures which look like their characters and should make sure that the DM knows which miniatures represent which characters. The miniature figures should be lined up in the same order as the marching order. When special situations occur, the players should change the position of their figures as they desire. File cards with names on them, pawns, and other markers may be used instead of miniatures, or the marching order may simply be written on a piece of paper. And in the miniature figures section, it says, D&D adventures are more interesting to play when figures are used. Metal miniatures about 15 to 25 millimeters high are often used, for they can easily be painted to look like real dungeon adventures. Many excellent figures are designed especially for fantasy role-playing games. These are available from TSR or from local hobby stores. If metal miniatures cost more than the players want to spend, many companies make inexpensive packs of plastic figures. These are not specifically made for fantasy role-playing, but can easily be adapted for it. Inexpensive plastic monsters of many sizes are also available in local stores. Um, so when it talks about those inexpensive packs of plastic figures, what it's most likely talking about is 172 scale uh, plastic historical miniatures. Um, Gygax actually used 172 scale uh, figures in place of dwarfs and hobbits when he was using 40 millimeter um, elastilin plastics and chainmail. These were uh, Airfix brand miniatures that Gygax was using. By the time that the uh, Basic Expert Rules in 1981 came out, there were some other companies. Um, Atlantic had some Soldiers of Troy uh, and stuff like that. And there's possibly these plastic figures I was talking about are also 40 mil um, toy soldiers as well. I want to go over this real quick from the basic experts in 1981 playing surface and point out some changes here from earlier. It says combats are easy to keep track of when large sheets of graph paper covered with plexiglass or transparent adhesive plastic contact paper are used to put the figures on. The best sheets for this use have one inch squares and the scale of one inch equals five feet. So there we see that change in 1981 of the ground scale becoming one inch equals five feet. And this all sounds very familiar to what a lot of people are using today. Uh, one inch grids that we mark on, uh, usually plastic coated and we wipe off. With water-based markers or grease pencils, an entire room or battle can be drawn in just a few seconds. When the battle is over, the board may be wiped off, leaving it ready for the next combat. Dominoes or plastic building blocks can also be used to outline walls and corridors. When using figures, the DM should make sure that a solid tabletop is used so the figures won't fall over when the table is bumped. I'm glad they told us that. Yeah, that was a... <laughs> They all pretty much seem to be in agreement. Yeah, that you can use them and it can be exciting to use them. But uh, what we see is as it goes on, um, the language changes a little bit from you will not even need miniature figures to all that is needed to play are these rules, the dice, your imagination. The game may be more exciting miniature-led figures are used. The expectation started drifting away from even being attached to miniatures where which makes sense because D&D grew out of miniature wargaming. I want to read a little bit from Beckme. As you try to imagine your characters and the areas they explore it is helpful to use miniature figures. 
to represent the characters and monsters. Several types of miniature figures are available from toy and hobby shops worldwide, made of metal or plastic and suitable for painting. You should be able to find figures that look very similar to your characters. Official Dungeons and Dragons figures are available. And the last thing Beckme says about uh, using miniatures, if you wish, you can purchase toy figures of your characters and monsters too. These figures can help you imagine better because they give you something to look at. Imagine a battle with seven characters fighting ten monsters. It's hard to imagine exactly what everybody is doing, so we often use figures to help keep track of where everybody is. If you wish to use miniature figures, be sure to get Dungeons & Dragons or AD&D miniatures. The other game systems do not use the same characters and monsters. Official figures are available in both plastic and metal. If you wish to paint your miniatures with realistic colors, official D&D paints, colors, and finishes are also available at better toy and hobby stores worldwide. So there's only three years, two years even, separating 1981 Basic Expert and 1983 um, Mincer Basic, but you can kind of see the amount of company uh, branding that uh, kind of invaded TSR, where in uh, Basic Expert, it, it even said, there's other companies that make toy soldiers. Go go buy some toy soldiers from this company and use them. Who cares? And then uh, in, in Mincer Basic, it kind of warns you, don't use other, they, they won't look like D&D. Don't That's even nice. use other paints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only D&D brand paint will make this red. Well, I don't know. Based on the readings, it's almost like it, was miniatures from Wargaming and then kind of dropped down into the no, you don't need them. Mm -hmm. And then back to the end was buy our miniatures. Right. Buy our miniatures. You <laughs> Once know? it became so, marketable. So in 1983, when the red box was released, which is the last one we read that was saying buy our miniatures, buy our miniatures, um, TSR for the first time had its own miniature product line. Before that, the miniature product line was licensed to other companies. So that was part of that shift too. Is like now right. we have this product identity that we're trying to sell you, um, but I do think there's actually a a a kind of a, a lesser use of miniatures even uh, into the 90s. And I started playing in '91, so I'm speaking mostly right from my butt. <laughs> I do feel like looking back at the history of it. Um, I mean, when you look at the early. Uh, D&D &D miniature lines, you know, it was minifigs, and then it was almost Heritage, but it turned out to be Grenadier, and then it was TSR itself, and then Citadel Miniatures had it, and then um, Ralpartha got it, and that was just from 77 to 87. So that's six miniature line changes in 10 years. Now, from 87 to 99, it was Ralpartha. Yeah, that was it. That was the only one that ever had it. So you can kind of see that that either either Ralph Arthur was just so good when Ralph Arthur is great they make great miniatures, or the competition for selling those miniatures was just so much less because less people were using miniatures in their games. I don't know. So the only other thing I want to go and just in the Rule Cyclopedia, uh, so Rule Cyclopedia is the book I started with, and I just found this funny in the Rule Cyclopedia. It says miniatures are made of metal, plastic, or cardboard, which is interesting because I have a sinking feeling that the only reason they say 
that some miniatures are made of cardboard is because a lot of TSR starter boxes at that point were coming with cardboard standees. So they were just kind of like, that's normal. That's a normal thing. That's always <laughs> happened. Manage Everybody does this. <laughs> um, but that's it. That's all I wanted. To, I wanted to read these and kind of give a framework of where the books landed on this. And I, yeah, like, like you said, it's kind of like there. There's a consensus. You don't need them, but they are nice. So now that we've um, gone over uh, what the books from the classic D and D line have said about using miniatures and how they're not necessary, but they can enhance the experience. I want to talk about our own experiences, both with using miniatures um, and uh, with just pure theater of the mind games. Um, I have uh, I started in the hobby, uh, you know, the wider fantasy role-playing game dungeon crawling hobby with a game called Hero Quest, which came with a ton of miniatures and a little scenery, and I think that's influenced my tastes quite a bit into what I expect from uh, the experience of playing a, a Dungeons and Dragons game. Now, because of that, I've kind of grown really fond of miniatures, and I paint miniatures and have my own collection and have multiple collections for different purposes, which is weird. But um, uh, and also because of that, early on in our relationship, uh, you had painted some miniatures before you ever played Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, because I like crafting and painting, so I kind of started that way. I think before I started playing games. So this is an interesting experience you had. You actually painted the miniature you used for your first role-playing game. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> what so, miniature was it? So, um, I had left the hobby, and I stopped playing D&D for a long time, and I wanted to get back into it, and this was when I first entered into the OSR. I found Castles and Crusades, and I started playing Castles and Crusades. You had painted a dwarf warrior, and then you created a character using that miniature. And that was your first RPG character. I do remember all those now. Okay, cool. So, um, so that's pretty rare that you painted the miniature you first used in your right. first RPG. That's pretty cool to me. Once you tried it and said, well, I kind of like this. I want to keep doing this. We got a group together and started playing Castles of Crusades. And that game, we used miniatures as well. Mm -hmm. So for like the first maybe two years of gaming you did, we used miniatures. I think the miniatures are better for beginner players. I think it helps them to understand what's going on and being able to visualize and know what's going on with the other characters in their party as well. So I think using miniatures is really helpful for new players. Yeah, I actually... So I, I got HeroQuest as a kid, and we played HeroQuest like crazy, and we just loved it. My dad thought it was cheesy and said why don't we just play D&D &D? you kids are old enough and so we started playing D&D &D as well and to me I had a mental separation where I did not use miniatures in D&D &D at all I only use miniatures for war games and I use miniatures for dungeon crawler board games so to me D&D &D wasn't a miniatures game growing up I miniatures were a separate hobby and I played D&D &D all theater of the mind until I uh, became interested in, in the OSR and got back into the hobby. And so that 
game that we played together that first game where you were Philo and you were going down fighting some giant spiders, I think. That was the first time I, I started using miniatures in RPGs as well. Um, and I and it was, I think, you who asked to use them. I said, well, sometimes people use miniatures, sometimes they don't. We can do either. And you're like, well, let's do that. And now I love using miniatures in RPGs. It's a, it's a, a preference of mine. Do you like... Drawing on the map like it suggests, or having the dungeon tiles. I either like complete theater of the mind or complete miniatures and scenery. I, you know, don't want half of anything. Well, I really don't like white battle maps with marker marks on them and figures standing on the white battle map. To me, it doesn't add enough to the experience to be worth taking away the full theater of the mind experience, which can which can be really engaging. Right. Um, I think if you're going to use the white battle map, almost not having the miniatures, that way you're just drawing the map so yeah. that everybody can see it instead of like one person graphing out the map. So you're, you're kind of just looking at a 2D map like you would as a character. Right. So then you're not having to say, oh, was that cave... Above the town, you know, north of the town or south of the town, you know, oh, I can't remember, you know, it's all drawn out there for you. Um, so I, I, I would like the white battle map more for that than mm-hmm. necessarily moving your figures through it. Now, that being said, I'm fine with it for like a convention type game where you may not want to travel. Right. With, your, with all your, your scenery. 4,000 4, pounds of Dwarven Forge. Right. Um Though it's an option. Um, <laughs> so having the the map on the white graph paper um, for that and just moving your figures through is fine. So what do you think are the benefits of using full scenery? I mean, I think it is neat to look at, especially depending on how it's painted or how it's crafted or how it's made. Um, I mean, it's art just like any other form of art. It's something right. somebody created. Um so uh, I think that can be interesting. I like it better if it's pre-set up to an extent. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm just impatient or what, <laughs> but, um, you know, you're trying to, I mean, unless you're in an ongoing game, then it would be fine. But if you're playing at a convention or a one-off game, if, you, you know, you're waiting on somebody to draw or to set up more and more of the map, or more and more of the dungeon and put out little bookshelves and put out little <laughs> people. It's like, okay, like, good. We walk through this room with the bookshelf in it and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Glad we waited for that, you know. <laughs> Whereas if it's all there and it's unveiled, then it's a little bit more exciting. I know, think, like, oh, I there think there's is. a mental um, process that happens when it's unveiled where it feels like that's the room that was there. Where if you see it built in front of you, it sort of ruins the illusion. Where if it's just, here's the next room, and you pull it up, and there it is, you're like, oh, that's what we see. And you take it all in at once. And that kind of adds to the immersion of the experience. The downside to having it pre-built, I would think, is you have to be a really good DM to not railroad the party Mm and what you want them to do. And to make it feel like they affected the outcome. So what do you think are the benefits of like just full theater of the mind? So the benefits of that 
in my opinion, are just like reading a book. I mean, yeah. I can, you and I can read the exact same book, and that main character could be dressed totally different or right. look totally different right. to me than it does to you. Um, it's kind of like, like going to watch a movie. Well, that's not how I thought that person looked like, or that's exactly how right. I thought that person looked like. You know, whenever you do theater of the mind, it's totally how you perceive even the rest of the party. They may be able to describe who they are to you, but unless they say every single detail, you picture them a certain way and you picture the land that you're in and the, you know, maybe the cave or the village or whatever it is where you are, how you see it. And so I think that that is neat. And I've said this before. um, I wish that there was a way to record our brain waves <laughs> individually and not to where you see each other while you're playing the game. But then after it could go back and say, see, like, I could see what you thought was going right. on and you could see what I thought was going what on. What I thought your character looked like compared to what I thought my character looked like compared to what you thought my character looked like compared to what you think your character right. looks like. Right, yeah. So right. I think that would be really, really cool. Somebody should work on that. So from a DM perspective... Theater of the mind is just way easier for prep. You know, the the amount of preparation that it takes to run a full scenery game and create these uh, crafted pieces of terrain and paint the miniatures and, and have it all ready and set up, um, you know, that is a huge investment of time. And it's also, frankly, a huge investment of money. <laughs> you know, miniatures aren't the cheapest hobby out there. And um, I'm aware. <laughs> That's fair. Um, (laughs) So um, that's one of the disadvantages of using miniatures is it's just, you know, especially if you don't game at your house. So you take them somewhere and you go, oh, man, I left the manticore model I had. That was going to be the big bad, you know, that we were about to fight. And now it's back home. And now I got to go get it or just put down a 12-sider and be like, you finally found the manticore. Here's a dodecahedron. Run in fear. Uh, It's not as exciting, you know. But um, I think the benefits of using miniatures beyond even just helping new players, I do think regardless of how well you try to describe every detail in theater of the mind there will be a time in your game where somebody thought something was somewhere or uh this monster was outside or that monster was over here and they attempt an action and then you go this monster comes up behind you and, and attacks you and you're there and there's that confusion like well i thought that monster was somewhere else i wouldn't have done that if i knew that monster was there well if you're using miniatures and it's all just in front of you you go okay well i see that lizard man's there i'm not going to go over there and and attack because i'm putting myself in front of that lizard man you know there's a disadvantage of theater of the mind to where it requires more narrative skill on the dungeon master game master whatever uh, uh, term you prefer to make sure that everybody is uh, sharing the same experience and understanding the the uh, just the physical nature of the situation they're in. The other advantage to the other mind for a DM is if you're good at this aspect of DMing, is you can change it up as you right. go. Right, absolutely. You can let the players dictate where they're going. That's a very a good lot point. more than if you're doing scenery. 
Yes. So um, I, I like theater of the mind for campaigns where I want the players to control the scope of the narrative. Uh, I, I typically only use miniatures at this point for one shots at conventions. I don't really foresee myself using miniatures for a campaign because it's a little bit more uh, constrictive on where that campaign can go and what the players can do. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, if, if you don't have the pieces for it, you can just switch to Theater of the Mind for those sections. Um, you know, but that's a little bit of a broken experience if you have one way that you prefer, you know, and then to move the other just to accommodate a play style. So do you want to talk at all about your experiences with Dwarven Forge or, or getting to play in those games at North Texas? Um, yeah, I can. So I've played in two games with Stefan Picorni. Um, so Stefan is a really good DM in my opinion. When we walked into the room, the whole thing was covered except for um, the castle. And we were able to play and like parts of the castle would come off as you went down the stairs. And so it was unveiled kind of like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so that was really cool. And all the the monsters, kobolds or whatever it was, we happened to run into were already there. So it wasn't like, oh, you go down the stairs and here, let me put one and two and three you know, oh, and you're going, oh my gosh, there's more and more. It was, it was unveiled and, oh my gosh, there's four kobolds in mm. here. What am I going to do? And it was like, what do you do now? And what do you do now? And you had to kind of think faster. So it was more almost like real-time action. Um, I mean, I guess if I could play to that level of scenery and theatrical display You heard it here energy, first, folks. You heard it here first. Courtney I says I should buy a bunch of Dwarven Forge. That's exactly what just happened. We're ending the show now. Thank you for listening. <laughs> it's, a good thing, it's a good thing this is a podcast and not a YouTube show. Or you would see my facial expressions. <sighs> We're not buying all the Dwarven Forge. We can't afford it. That's fair. <laughs> but no, it was a really great experience. And um, his scenery... And that's, um, I would say, scenery to the, to the max. Yeah. I mean, well, did that you change have... your opinion at all about it? Like, did you lean one way or the other before that and kind of see that and go, wow, this is actually really uh, uh, changes the game a bit. Like, because I use scenery, but it's, it's, I typically don't use dioramic scenery. I don't use um, dungeon walls uh, uh, a lot. And, and, and I think that kind of changes just the seeing the actual environment the characters are in compared to kind of a um an approximation i almost feel like whenever i play in that game that it's almost like i'm part of the theater show Mm -hmm. like there's it's such elaborate scenery and then you have your miniature in there that and then the almost performance that the Stefan puts on. Yeah. Um, that almost like I'm part of the show. Right. And so it's very immersive. Right. And um, very exciting. And I feel like I get into it a whole lot. Whereas if I'm just, um, I don't know if flat scenery is the right word because not all of it's just flat tiles right. or um, little bookshelves. Like that's not as immersive. Right. But um, I felt like the lighting of the 
the Dwarven Fort scenery that he has brought the last two years. Um, it's just really yeah adds a whole other layer to it. Right, and, and I think that's like that's kind of um, how how I feel about it as far as like the go all in or don't. You know, um, I think it works best the further you go in to that rabbit hole. I think if you have just some figures out that are unpainted and they kind of show where people are, it it, be, it makes it a more dissatisfying experience than it than it helps the the cogency of conversation. Um, so I, I like both, but I like all or nothing. Uh, you know, I, I don't like putting dice out there like so many of those manuals suggested or putting chessmen on the board and saying, okay, that's the ogre. Because to me, I would rather just describe the ogre to you at that point because the miniatures aren't doing their function. To me, the only function of miniatures is aesthetics. The only function that miniatures have that can't be done with counters or dice or chess piece is aesthetics. And the aesthetics of the situation is kind of like an art show. You know, you 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 paint these figures and put them out there. I run um, a lot of games using very old school miniatures. And part of that game is just getting to see the old school miniatures and getting to see them in play. You know, you can look up pictures and find like the old uh, minifigs, kobolds and goblins and orcs. But uh, to actually have them painted up and in play and, and on the table, you know, that's a 40-year-old miniature that I'm putting on the table and let's roll some dice and, and, and play. That it becomes almost this museum. I think I just genuinely love the artistry of miniatures. I like the idea that somebody 40 years ago sculpted a statue that then I get in my hands and then I collaborate with that artist through space and time and paint it and then put it on the table as a piece of my artwork and their artwork to show other people. I like that concept. I like the idea of picking a miniature that you like, mm -hmm. painting it, and then bringing it to play and that being your character. Whereas I feel like a lot of times you have a character sheet and a character and then you have miniatures to pick from and you're like, oh, well, this my dwarf close. has a sword so i guess i'll pick this one even though it's nothing like what you wanted right. it to look like whereas like with philo i mean that's that's how i see pretty much all dwarfs which is why if i play a dwarf right i usually play philo but um but to bring philo to the table yeah you know that's that's interesting and that's neat and i can tell you who this character is but to go the reverse route where you have the character sheet and you're just matching it to some... Right. A limited selection of miniatures that right. were provided. The function of the miniature itself is to completely represent the character. So if it's off even a little bit, even if it has an axe instead of a sword, it, it becomes a frustrating thing. You know, and people that's why people do conversions and why there are so many options out there. Because the idea of the miniature sculptor, the artistry of this is to capture some sort of collective imagination in someone else's brain and present it to them and say, this? Is this what you like? Right. You know, is this how orcs look to you? No, well, how about these over here? You know, that's why there's 
17,000 different varieties of orc miniatures because we all picture these monsters differently. And the miniature sculptors are just trying to capture that idea as closely as they can that is collectively held by enough people to support a business. Um, so anyway, the last thing I think we have here to talk about is just our preference between the two. Like, do we have a strong preference? Do we prefer miniatures or do we prefer theater of the mind? Or where do we land on that? I think personally for myself, I prefer theater of the mind for the most part. That was very vague. Um, <laughs> I like theater of the mind in a campaign game. Okay. And I like miniatures and scenery which i already said earlier for beginner gamers mm -hmm. i think that's very helpful and i like miniatures and scenery whenever i'm playing with stefan picorni <laughs> i like theater of the mind for a campaign game if the campaign game is kind of an open world exploration type at some point i would love to do uh, just a mega dungeon extended game do you you stay at the same place. This is the dungeon you're exploring. There's some sort of goal at the end and use miniatures the whole time. I would like to do that at some point. Um, but I, I do particularly enjoy using miniatures in one shots and providing this environment. Um, uh, what I want to do uh, in the future is, is have more closed off one shots. I, I think a lot of my... Um, one shot. I feel like I'm rambling now. This is an interesting. I quit listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I like both. I like miniatures just for themselves. Like I just, I just enjoy miniatures. I like painting them. I like. So you like the miniatures for their artwork. Like if I, if even if I switch to never ever sitting a miniature on a D and D table ever again. I would still just like miniatures. I would just like them. They're they're just neat to me. Um, now, for a gaming experience, you know, I've been I've sat down and played Theater of the Mind, where uh, I felt like you know if we had miniatures, people would know more about what's going on, and people would be more um, able to kind of really interact with the situation as opposed to kind of discerning the situation uh and actually in our one of our early castles and crusades games uh that we played um one of the players decided to start moving around this table and that thought may not have occurred to him to use it as this barricade and use it as this weapon and, and keep using it throughout this combat if the little miniature table wasn't up there you know if i just said there's a table in this room you know right. it may have not come up as much but because that 3D um, reminder was there, and it, there was this spatial relationship that all this stuff had. He was able to kind of think in the environment he was in without necessarily always having to imagine the environment because things will slip out of your mind, you know? I right. mean, it's just you don't remember exactly who was where or what was happening. Um, so ultimately... If, if, if on an infinite timeline with infinite talent and uh, infinite funding, I would want to have just giant uh, full-on scenery campaigns going. Uh, uh, but with finite timeline and finite 
funding and finite uh, uh, storage. Storage is an issue. Yeah, I would go with Theater of the Mind. It's pretty good. <laughs> also, feel like um, Theater of the Mind is conducive to multiple settings as far as where you are located physically. Right. Um, for example, sitting on the couch or sitting around the table, you can be oh. casual with it or not or whatever, or at a coffee shop kind of thing might be easier just to do theater that's of the mind. That's a great point. Yeah. The, that's a huge benefit of theater mind. Cause that's, you know, our current game we play now, we play in a basic expert game with some friends of ours and we just sit on chairs in the living room and we're just chatting essentially. And uh, we just show up and sit down and chat and start the game and, and play. And we're not at a table at all um, because we don't need the space for it. We just have our character sheets. I have my rule book. And, um, but, I, you know, what I thought when you first said that, and this is also uh, kind of an important advantage of theater of the mind. When you said different environments, I was thinking of the fact that same basic expert game, we've like started in one town and gone to a whole nother town and then was out in the forest and then ended up at a castle. You know, right. if I had to accommodate all of those locations with some sort of miniature diorama, it would have been insane to do that. You know, you would have just been like, no, you're not, you're just, you're in this town. <laughs> That's right. where the adventure is. <laughs> We're not going anywhere else. Um, so that's just one of the advantages of theater of mind of, of just that freedom of t letting the narrative take you wherever the narrative wants to take you based on how anybody is feeling or acting that day. Good I have point. nothing else to say. I don't think I do either. So this has been a side adventure. Saber Die has had side adventures uh, its whole timeline. This one is side adventure 13. And we're probably going to do more of these because... A shorter episode allows us to get more content to you more often. If you liked this, if you want to hear more side adventures, let us know. If you didn't like it, if you want to hear only full episodes or nothing, let us know. Send us an email at questions at saveordie.info and give us some feedback. Hopefully we'll be able to provide more content for you this way and we'll still have full episodes with Carl and Crispy on them. And one of those will be coming soon. Thanks with, for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>